Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm Angela Donatio, and each week I share compelling conversations with leading voices. They encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together we'll make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. I have been looking forward to this interview for some time. And it's just such a joy to welcome Rachel Barbeau today. Without sugarcoating or ignoring the darkness of our world, former national sportscaster and speaker Rachel Joy Barbeau shows us how to chase, find, and keep the joy in life, especially when it's hard won. And in her new book, Relentless Joy, Finding Freedom, Passion, and Happiness, Even When You Have to Fight for It. Rachel talks candidly about the difference between isolation and solitude, the importance of reconciliation for joy, and how she overcame challenges with mental health to fight for relentless joy. So welcome, Rachel. I'm so excited and honored to have you here on the Make Life Matter podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I so appreciate you. I stalk you. I mean, follow you on Instagram. So my first book is Finding Joy When Life is Out of Focus. So I'm always migrating to women who write about joy, who live in joy, who fight for joy. So I have been so looking forward to this conversation. I want to read something that you wrote, and then I just kind of want to talk a a little bit about your story before we dive into the book. But you wrote this, I am not running from the pain in my life, but I do have to consciously choose daily to bust open the windows of the home of my soul and let in all the light, all the brilliance, all the majesty that this world can offer. I could keep the shutters closed. I could focus on all the loss, but I don't want to miss the light, the joy, the wildness, and the wonder that life has to offer. I love that quote. (laughs) I love the intentionality in what you share there. And you share even more about your story in the introduction of your new book, Relentless Joy. And you faced quite a bit of trauma in your own life. So I would love for you to just kind of share a little bit about that and how that trauma has really shaped your mission now to help us live in relentless joy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I even, when I read that now, that introduction, I'm like, woo! if I didn't know me, I'd be like, wow. Like, and, and a lot of those facts, um, people don't even know. I didn't, some of them I didn't touch on in the book. So it was just a, it was a, you know, okay. If I were to, say all the things that I've been through in my life, um, some of them hard. Um, and and I, I, I did that at the very beginning for anybody who was like, well, what does this girl know? What's she been through? You know, she doesn't know what I know and what I've been through. And so I did that, um, to, to qualify, if you will, myself for people that were going through some junk, And yeah, I've I've lived a really amazing life. Like if you, you know, you walk into my office or you look at my career, you know, people are like, oh, they should make a movie about your career, man. You've done some amazing things. Mm. Yes. But there have also been extreme lows and Mm. um, loss and addiction and abuse and grief and physical loss and uh, all sorts of things. And so, yeah, um, I, I feel like for me, at least where, who God created me to be is really this authentic soul who shows a lot of my junk. Um, I'm really committed to that on social media, being real, you'll see me go on without, you know, makeup or no filter. I don't, you know, do I just, I am who I am and I'll be silly and funny. And, you know, people have, I met a man one time, 
a couple of years back that said, you don't know me, but I prayed for you when you lost your mother. Mm. He said, I remember you in your prayer closet. And I just showed my real and my raw um, completely broken. And I think that's why people are um, drawn to me, to be honest with you, because there are no pretenses. I just am who I am. Yeah. And I mean, that authentic faith is so it's attractive. It's contagious. I was watching your social media yesterday when you were crying happy tears of making a national bestseller list with the book and what a feeling that is. And, and the, you know, it's a lot of work to write a book. It's your heart, it's your blood, your sweat, your tears on paper. So, you know, you didn't wait till you were all like, and here I am. I mean, you were like so raw and vulnerable. And I love that. I love that. People can see our highlight reels. They can see our like great moments or whatever. And they just don't understand the pain that, that maybe was behind that to get to that point that we can offer something, even a value to someone else. So even your word relentless in the title is very indicative that this is not a one and done. This is an intentional life of choosing joy. And you walk us through your journey in the book. I was reading the chapter this morning on Africa and a hill in Africa. You talk about going to an area where it was just a hero had been and and how we're not going to wait until everything is perfect. We're going to experience so much pain. You've probably seen it. You talked about her um, writing about it and how we can tend to just pull back and withdraw from the world when we experience that pain. But share a little bit about your journey with just, you've been to Africa, to Israel, national stages. Yeah. And, and yeah. how has that, you know, all these experiences have pointed you to Jesus and appointed you to a life of joy in Jesus. So walk us through it because I'm all about all the adventures. I would love to hear. Yeah. Well, I've stopped you too. And so I saw your very joyous <laughs> pictures inside the church with the women. Oh. And I tell you, um, African people, whatever country it is, the continent of Africa, like they are some of the most naturally joyful people. When they smile, they smile with their soul Mm-hmm. Um, warm, generous, kind. I just, yeah, I've been to Tanzania and Kenya and um, I've been twice. I've been so fortunate to go twice, once um, on safari with my aunt, which I wrote about in the book. And then the next time uh, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro for a friend who had ALS, who ended up succumbing mm-hmm. to the, the the disease. And we ended up hitting a blizzard at uh, 17,000 feet and everybody else in the mountain turned back. We did not. Um, one woman slipped and had to be ice axe arrested. The guide ended up underneath her. I slipped and fell. The last guide you talk, I don't believe in coincidences. And Kathy Lee Gifford says it in her book, the Jesus I know, uh, in the Hebrew language, there's no word for coincidence. And they had put this guy on the guy on our climb that day. He had run up like 17,000 feet, not kidding you to be on the climb because we were going to make it, you know, we were going to continue to summit even in this blizzard. And uh, he was at the very end, uh, slipped and and fell. And right at the very end of the line, I mean, I just would have kept going. He grabs me. And um, I remember his big toothy, you know, he had, big, he had a whole uh, mm. gap in his tooth and he just smiled at me. And so, yeah, there's been some uh, certainly some uh, adventures in Africa. And, you, you know, you, there's two parts of that chapter. One is the funny part of Africa and the scary part of Africa and how wild it is and beautiful yeah. it is. And the smells and the just uh, the massiveness of it. But the other part is this woman named Martha Gellhorn. And I have to tell you really quick, I stayed in her home 
And, and the craziest part is I was so ignorant at that time that I was like, oh, this is Ernest Hemingway's wife's home. I didn't even give her a name. Angela, I didn't even give her a name because I didn't know. And then, and then in reading and writing this book, I should say, I did all my research and I found out Martha Gellhorn was a war correspondent and a hero. And she was there when Dachau was liberated, she was the only female on the shores of D-Day because mm-hmm. she stowed away and, and posed as a nurse. And so she sees all these horrific things in her life. And then she leaves and goes and builds a house on a hill in Africa. And it was just such a um, revelation to me that you can be war torn and mm-hmm. see horrific things and go through the battle and be blasted and barren. And yet still you can, in your mind and in your soul, go build a hill, a house on a hill in Africa and find the the beauty and the joy in the world and the raw beauty and what God has put before us. But it is a conscious decision as you, as you talked about, it's an absolute conscious decision. And briefly, I, I went to Israel and um, the the book that was supposed to be this book, it was actually a book before, and it was called Calling on the Hearts of Kings. Um, I was with a lady named Lisa Jackson, who is responsible for Heaven is for Real and Left Behind. Oh, High. yeah. Mm-hmm. She is that, you know, successful. And so we wrote this book proposal and she's like, Rachel, you, I think you're going to get between, you know, two to three offers. You're going to be able to choose. It's going to be great. And I'm on the bus going to to Israel. Don't know any of these people. I've been gifted this trip because of my career. And they wanted us to come back, Kufi. Um, and they wanted us to come back and talk about Israel. Well, I get the last email that's saying that, you know, nobody wants your book. And I sat in the corner and cried. And what I and I what I could not foresee is that God needed all of my attention in Israel, that he was gonna give me a message that would change the course of my life and so many other people's lives. And he wanted, and we do serve a a God that wants us. He wants our attention. He doesn't want to be second to, to other people or things. And, and he knew it wasn't time, Mm. but he also knew he wanted my attention in Israel. Mm, That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. We've had very similar experiences. I climbed Kilimanjaro in 2010 and Yeah, stopped just short of summoning about 17,000 feet. I had a similar experience with a guide that just walked me through those last kind of um, difficult moments and uh, have been to Israel three times now. These are very soul-shaping experiences. And you guys hear the emotion in Rachel's voice. If you're watching, you can see it because one of the ways we're going to live in joy and make our life matter is to really be um, just awake and life for lack of a better word. And I feel like America can be very numbing. Part of why I love Africa. I've been over two dozen times now is it is untamed. As you describe, it is wild and it's abandoned for joy. It has the highest of highs. It has the lowest of lows. It has the deepest of poverty and loss and grief, but to see resilience and grit and joy in the face of that, it's deeply impactful. So um, I share that and I just, I love your zest for life and the fact that, you know, you're drawing from these other experiences as well and recognizing that sometimes joy feels like it's delayed. You have this expectation of a book, you know, that feeling of, of working on it and then it's not going to happen, but God, it's something better and something different in mind. So um, I want to read a quote that I love from your book. There is a very fine line between isolation and solitude. Mm -hmm. 
So you mentioned this kind of, you know, hill on Africa that she went and and built this home, which sounds, to be frank, very, very, um, I would love that. Very compelling for me. (laughs) But we can't, we can't all have that, but we can create hills of joy wherever we live. And I want you to talk about the difference between isolation and solitude, because I spend a lot of time in solitude as a writer, as a podcast host, as a, you know, Bible teacher, that is not the same as isolation. Isolation can be a real tool of the enemy. So help us know the difference, Rachel, and how that's important to navigate if we're going to live in relentless joy. Yeah, it's so it's such a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. It, there's a fine line and I'm, you know, I teach people how to love yourself mm-hmm. that God did not take the day off and like go to the heavenly Panera, you know, the day you're born, <laughs> you know, like he he didn't step away from the assembly line. Say, oh, that one, you know, I'm not dealing with that one. You're a miracle. Yes. And so um, I teach people to take care of your own soul, to, to nourish your soul, to do things that are uniquely for you. And so I teach people to love solitude that have never spent time alone, to learn to read books or to go to dinner by yourself or go to a movie or walk in the park or take a hike. Because until you truly love yourself, you, you know, and and it happened for me, I was out in the world for so many years looking for other people to love me, but I didn't love myself. Mm. And I was so broken and I wasn't where I needed to be with God that nobody else was going to fill me up. Right. Um, romantically or any of those things. And so I teach people how to have solitude and enjoyed solitude. But I know very, very much as somebody that's like you who enjoys it, that very quickly, if you are not cognizant, you can slip into that isolation. And that isolation piece is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely a tool for the enemy. And that's where he starts to put the thoughts in your head and why are you alone and you're pathetic and you're weak and no one loves you. And, you know, they, uh, you know, you're defective, those types of things. And that's where you, you know, in my movement, I'm changing the narrative. We created what I call a battle plan. And it is, I call them your ride or dies, but they're the people like a person that you would call if you won the lottery, that you were going to take on a, you know, cruise to Mexico, but also the same person that you would call if you had a flat tire and -hmm. you know, they would show up. Okay. And so I think in life, we need to strive to have three of those people in our life, family or friends. And if you're ever so low and you're having these thoughts and you're in isolation, a tool of the enemy, and you're having these, these intrusive thoughts. You need to have a battle plan. I did not. I had a dark night of the soul. And um, and, and the battle plan is, okay, I'm going to call or text my ride or die, my first one, my second one, my third one. If I can't get them, I'm going to call a crisis hotline. And maybe you're in such a low place, you need to call across this hotline first yeah. and then text somebody to come over and sit with you while this is going on. What happened for me in isolation where the enemy got me is he told me, you can't burden anybody with your problems mm-hmm. and nobody wants to hear from you at 3 a.m. Well, I almost took myself out of the world uh, because of that. And the lot that's a lie. That's a feeling. And sometimes feelings will lie to you. That's not a fact. And so I teach people this battle plan and then teach people to find their three people and then tell them to find their three people and tell them to find their three people so that it, it spreads out like a ripple on a pond. And the reason why I do that is because I know the dangers of isolation. I love solitude. And I think solitude is God-given when you really truly love who you are and who he created you to be. Because honestly, my friend, I think there are times like 
And then God looks down at us and he's sad because we're blasted and we're barren and we hate ourselves sometimes. And we, we don't take care of ourselves and we, we speak negatively to ourselves and we, you know, and I think that saddens God because he's like, I love her. I created her. She's a miracle. I love him. Yeah. And so um, it's so important to know the two. But not only know the two to have a plan for when you are in those isolated places and you do start to hear the lies of the enemy. That's so good because we can resist solitude because we're not at peace with ourselves with God. So we don't like our own thoughts. We don't want to be quiet in his presence. Our culture is very loud. People are blaring the radio all the time. Music everywhere you go. You go down the supermarket aisle. You're completely overwhelmed and and overstimulated. So You've got to be intentional about creating solitude, isolation. However, we do migrate to out of unhealthy uh, tendencies or feelings. I so appreciate you sharing your story because there's so many people who find themselves retreating, especially after COVID. Uh, we had mental health, par- you know, a pandemic. We're still dealing with the aftermath, mental health issues, which we're going to talk about in a minute. We've had such forced isolation and and then we didn't know how to emerge from it we emerged traumatized or we emerged uncertain and so understanding the difference is so important if you're feeling like you're craving being alone that may be god's pull toward you that he wants your attention like you mentioned a minute ago in israel but if you're feeling like no one loves me i just want to isolate i don't want to be in community i don't want to be in church that's the pull of the enemy Yes. So it's really important to discern the difference. It mm-hmm. might look the same. You're alone, mm-hmm. but the reason and the outcome is going to be very, very different. And if you're finding yourself isolated right now, the, the very first thing I would do is exactly what Rachel is saying. Find someone to talk to, get your ride or die people, put them on your speed dial, know that you could call them on a moment's notice because we're so much stronger in community. Yeah. And I so appreciate you sharing that because we're not in, we're not going to live in joy if we are isolated. Another thing that you lean into in the book, Rachel, that I so appreciated, my husband, and I pastor outside of DC and we pastor a very diverse church with 30 to 40 different nations represented. So you lean into reconciliation. We had a racial rec- reconciliation panel that we did live um, in the, in the wake of George Floyd and everything that happened. I'm that election year that was just so painful for everyone to walk through, but you connect the dots between a heart for reconciliation with family, with friends, with others and joy. So talk about that and why that was so important for you to include in the book. Yeah, because I think reconciliation is the, is the, is the ingredient, one of the key ingredients of joy. Hmm. Um, You can't live a joyful life. If you're beefing with somebody, you can't, if you have hatred in your heart for somebody else who looks different than you, just because your parents taught you that, you you don't have true joy. Right. I say this to people all the time. I've never met a happy bully in yeah. my life. Never met somebody who is mean to somebody else, who hates somebody else and lays their head on the pillow at night and is like, oh, I slept well. I live a good life. You know, like that's never happened. Um, you aren't at peace with yourself. You aren't at peace with God when you, when you hate other people, when you, when you have things that you need to forgive people for. And we think forgiveness is for somebody else. It's truly a gift to ourselves. It takes the albatross off of our neck and says, oh, you know, and 
Mm-hmm. Um, my stepdad, who's like a dad, I have a stepdad and adopted dad who's in heaven and I have a bonus dad and I have a biological father. And uh, so my, my episode would be called my four dads, <laughs> but, um, but you know, we, we had our issues growing up and he, he had his issues and, um, I remember, I don't know if this made this to the, made this to the book, but I remember my brother telling me years ago, you need to, for, you need to ask him for forgiveness. And I said, mm-hmm. ask him for forgiveness. He did this to me, you know, mm-hmm. to us. How, why would I ask him for forgiveness? And he just kept on me. My brother's very wise biblically. And I remember being in his kitchen and I called him and my, my stepdad. And I said, I just want to say, I'm sorry for any part that I had in the turmoil in our home growing up Mm. and the line got quiet. And then you could hear him weeping on the other end of the line. And he said, no, 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 my girl. He said, I'm sorry. I was a broken man. And he said, I'm so sorry for what I did to you and your mom. And, um, and that moment the the uh, allowed ushered in grace and love and peace and forgiveness and my stepdad, Gary, he walked me down the aisle, oh. you know, and he's my best friend now. And, um, and the world would tell me, you don't forgive him. Like he did this to you. He did that to you. You know, you don't need to forgive him. He's bad, 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 bad. You know, the world wants to label people. I just went, um, I just went into a maximum security prison last week wow. and, um, for the first time, and I'm going to be doing more work in prisons. And, you know, I was in what they call the faith block, uh, the faith unit. And these men work very hard to get into this unit because there's a level of security and and mentorship. There's classes, there's church every week, but some are believers and some aren't. And I walk into this church service, Angela, and it's 202 men. Some will never get out. Mm-hmm. Some will get out. Um, and you know, I remember looking over at the pastor that I was with and he said, um, see that young, that young man up there. And it's the church band playing. And this man had Jesus all over him mm. and, um, just a light all over him. And he was playing the piano and he said, it breaks my heart. He'll never get out of here. When he was in his early twenties, he murdered somebody. Mm. And, um, yet still Jesus was all over him. Because Jesus sees his soul and who he is. And he was never going to walk out of that prison like I walked out that night. But yet he loves Jesus. He was serving him. Jesus was within him, pouring out of him, like, you know, like the balm of Gilead, right? And so it is just reconciliation is such a huge part of who I am, of what I teach. And it was so, I just was so reminded of it when I went inside this maximum security prison and and talk to these men about you can't change what you did other than to ask for forgiveness and work on your heart and be a better man. But what you can change is I asked them, I said, who in here has children? Mm. Tons of hands went up. I said, do we you want your children to repeat the same mistakes? No, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. OK, so what do we do? Let's talk to our children about who we were when we committed these crimes and how did we get there? Right. Did something happen to us in our childhood? Were we broken? Were we you know, dare I say molested or any of these horrible things that happen. You're not saying this is an excuse. You're saying, here's how I arrived here. And here's how God has made me a better man. And son, 
child, daughter, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. So Mm -hmm. let me tell you about what happened and how you can be better and how God is the whole architect of the whole thing. I Mm -hmm. said, just expecting your children to understand what you did and what happened is a whole ball of wax for them. But if you'll teach them and be deliberate about teaching them about how you arrived there, how you were broken, how God is putting you back together and how you don't want them to fall in the same traps of the enemy, then 10 generations forward, your children will be blessed. And Mm -hmm. girl, it was just, wow. Yeah. What a powerful moment because forgiveness is for us. Even if the person doesn't receive it, doesn't acknowledge it, maybe not even be alive. Forgiveness is for you to feel free and the freedom that you've experienced. Now you're able to share with them. Listen, you can do what my stepdad did. No, I, I made these mistakes, but you don't have to. And let's move toward healing. I mean, the, the scripture Bible tells us that we have the ministry of reconciliation. Christ came to reconcile us back to the father and we're to live in as much as we can postures of reconciliation. And that doesn't just mean racially. That means with people that we disagree with. It, it can mean in so many different ways. You don't have to agree with someone to be kind, to be gracious, um, to honor them, even if you're not in agreement with. And I don't think our culture knows how to do that very well. So um, you just see the joy that comes out of you and you see this posture of gratitude. And I know that comes because you've chosen reconciliation. You've chosen to not stay in places of brokenness. You're just not going to let rivers of water flow out of you. If you've let it become dammed up by unforgiveness, because it's, it becomes stagnant. It doesn't move. It doesn't add any value. It doesn't bless someone else. So I just so appreciate this being not only a part of your story that you've shared with us, but a part of, of, of recognition. This is a piece of relentless joy. It's so, so important. So I want to lean into a couple more things, um, especially mental health. You've talked about this. You've talked about overcoming your own challenges. If we're going to make our lives matter for the kingdom, we have to understand, navigate and include mental health. I'm so I'm so grateful that it's come out of the shadows. I remember growing up in the church, Rachel, where it was like, Shh, you don't talk about it or you just read more scripture or pray more or whatever. And people fall further and further into condemnation and shame and further into depression. And we're losing people. We're losing people. Like you said, they're choosing to opt out of life. They're not staying and that's not God's best. So Let's talk about mental health a little bit. Why this is so important to you. You mentioned the hashtag, I'm changing the narrative. So this is really an important part of how you're making your life matter. So talk about this for us, Rachel, why this is so crucial. Yeah, seven years ago, I created a movement called I'm Changing the Narrative. I went into, I thought I would go into high schools. I do now, but I started in colleges. I was a college football reporter before retiring in 2019 to go full-time in what I do. And it originated this purpose, passion platform, my own experience with domestic violence and telling people that you could change a narrative and trend for something positive. Well, as the years went on, I thought I was just going to do these talks and then be a sportscaster and do these talks on the side. Well, God had a different plan (laughs) and, uh, and they got bigger and bigger and more and more. And over the years, I began to talk about interpersonal relationships as well and, and how to be a king or a queen. And I got that from my church zeal in, in Nashville and um, 
and nobody's perfect. A king or a queen isn't perfect. Just means you know better. So you do better. Um, you lead, you serve, you give, you say you're sorry. You, um, you talk kindly to yourself and to others. And so, yeah, so that's how it started. And then it progressed into interpersonal relationships. Then before the pandemic hit, we started talking about mental health because I had had that dark night of the soul. And I remember the next morning, the enemy saying, you can't talk about this. No one will book you. You're pathetic. You're weak. You're broken. And um, that was on one shoulder. But on the other shoulder, you know, God said, my girl, my girl, you're a warrior. Mm. And I saved you for a purpose and go tell people far and wide that you're not defective. You're not broken and you're not weak. And then I love them. And, um, and so I did just that. And I started speaking on mental health in churches, in colleges, in halfway houses, in prisons, in high schools, in K through five. And I've had so many people say, um, wow, this changed my life. I've even had crazy stories of people telling me I was going to run my car off the road on the way here. I was going to take my life tonight, but I heard you speak. I already had the letter written. I even had a young man, God bless him, that said I was standing on a chair with a noose around my neck, ready to step off, and a mosquito bit me in the forehead, mm-hmm. and I took it as God. I took the wow. noose off, and I got down off the chair. And so um, it's been it's been a major work in my life. I, I won't stop. And I think um, so many people right now, to be honest with you, are fatigued talking about mental health. And so what we've begun to do and what my message has naturally done is joy is a part of your mental health, Absolutely. right? When you when you love yourself, when you love life, when you have a zest for life, when you have a joy that's like down in your soul that rumbles up, that makes your mental health better, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you know how to care for your own soul, soul care, that makes your mental health better. And so people will come to a a... a these days, they'll come to a, a symposium about joy, but, you know, and I've had so many people tell me this, they're like, there's a symposium about mental health, Ugh. you yeah. know, like they know they need to go, but they don't want to go. Mm. And so joy has been the great blender that we can put mental health inside of and hide the veggies, so to speak. So there's yeah. that. But then the other thing that I think is so great, and I know you and your husband are doing this is from the pulpit Yeah, is, is pastors saying I've struggled too. Mm-hmm. Because we need our leaders and the people we look up to and that that shepherd us, we need them to say, me too. I've been there. I've struggled with anxiety or depression or I've had this moment because otherwise, who? how do I see myself in you, right? Yeah. I, and, and so that is so important. And I tell people, sometimes you need Jesus and therapy. Sometimes you need Jesus and therapy and medication right? because Jesus and, and God created people to be great therapists to create medication. Now that's not for everybody, but that is for some people. And so I I just love what you guys are doing, getting real on it. And the more people in leadership that we have that are real, the more people we're going to save. That's so good. So, so good. And I love your hashtag. I'm changing the narrative because the narrative comes from the inside out, the way we talk to ourselves, the way we see ourselves, the way Christ sees us, the beloved that he died for us, that we're worth, um, we're worth loving and we're worth living and staying here. And so thank you for championing this. And there's so many examples in the Bible, even of people that struggle with mental health, you've got Elijah. I mean, it just goes on and on. (laughs) And so I think pointing to that and saying, but the solution is not just burying it or sweeping it under the rug. The solution is 
being aware. And like you said, taking the necessary steps that we need through community, through therapy, through church, through the word, um, to just not let that take us out. It doesn't need to derail us. We all have, we're, none of us are perfect and we live in a fallen world. So we all have some form of mental health challenge, but yeah. those of us that are really, really struggling, if you're listening and so much of Rachel's story has resonated, maybe you feel like right now you're in a dark night of the soul. I, I can tell you, Rachel, more than anything else would want you to know who you are in Christ, know that you are worth fighting for. Um, get a copy of her book, Relentless Joy. It'll so encourage you. Follow her on social media. Her vulnerability, her authenticity uh, will encourage you. And she's going to pray over us in just a moment. But Rachel, I always like to ask one last question. And that is, other than Jesus, who is that person in the Bible for you that inspires you to make your life matter? Um, I'll say this. I used to be ashamed that that um, I was such an emotional person. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, but now I know my sensitivity is my superpower mm -hmm. and, um, the one, the person in the, in the Bible that one of them that most inspires me is the, is the woman who, um, who chased Jesus down just to touch the hem of his garment. Yeah. She had been suffering for so long mm -hmm. and, um, she was undeterred. She was going to get to him and, um, and he knew it. He turned around and said, what happened? You know, he turned around and stopped and and, and felt it mm. and felt her. And I, and I, I weep because one, she's just such a, a hero to me, but two, my mother was very much like that. She, she taught me that when you mess up, don't run from God, don't hide in shame. And she chased his hymn with a fervor that scared hell. Ooh. And I want people to chase Jesus with a fervor that when you put your feet on the side of the bed, that he in hell with all of his minions say, dang it, she's up, you know, like, what's she going to do today? What's he going to do today? What's going to happen? What do we need to do? And so, um, yeah, that the woman, oh gracious, she, um, with the issue of blood, she just inspires me. I, I get to share my testimony at a, at a women's shelter, a women's halfway house. I've been doing it for 10 years. Um, I use the word preach sometimes. Yeah, or, you know, I getting I poorly on that, and that's okay. I preach, I preach. yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and I have I've preached on that on her many times because she's just so impactful to me to just keep going. I mean, mm. she had become a pariah. People didn't want to deal with her, run through all her finances. She had, she was at the end of her rope, and yet she found that the she found the the confidence and the courage to get up and chase chase him. Yeah. I love that. I love chasing the hem. What a beautiful yeah. way to say that. Oh, it's just, yeah, I wrote about her in one of my Bible studies called fearless and, and, uh, I feel the same way. She's just, she's, she's amazing. And, and anyone who's been through suffering and what great counsel your mother gave you to just always push your pain into the heart of Jesus. Don't run from him, run to him. And, uh, I just so appreciate your sensitivity. It is your superpower. And I think <laughs> When we get callous, when we get numb, we're not going to live in joy like that. And we're not going to be sensitive to the needs of others. And so I think your sensitivity, sensitivity, whether it's in a halfway house, uh, on a national stage, on a bus in Israel, in a maximum security prison, it comes because you just stay in that posture of availability and, and, and openness of the Holy Spirit. And it's just so evident. It's beautiful to see. So Rachel, I, I connect with you on Instagram, but how can other people follow you, find you and get a copy of Relentless Joy? 
Yeah. Everything um, is kind of under one roof. If you go to rachelbarbeau.com, um, you can get my book there, wherever books are sold. You can find out about courses and coaching and events and retreats and all sorts of things um, there. And then they'll link off to I'm Changing the Narrative, the movement. If you if you want to send me an email, one of the things I love is my emails go directly to me, um, mm-hmm. not anybody else, and nobody else reads emails. And so if you want to talk about a speaking engagement or working together on some way, or you just want to say, hey, I heard you on her podcast mm-hmm. and it mattered greatly to me. I, you know, I cherish emails from people that tell me, hey, this mattered, this changed. Um, thank you so much. I just got an, a message from a friend this morning, um, a new friend through the book that said, your book um, found me at the lowest moments of my life and I am still alive, but, you know, wow. partly because of the book and God. And I just think, wow. you know, and to me, it's wonderful being a bestseller. It's great. But that is the true, you know, that's the true rubies and pearls because it's eternal, you know, okay. and and it makes God proud. Yeah, that's right. That's so good. And I'm going to spell your name for people in case. I mean, it's right here in my show notes and yep. on the episode that you're listening to, but B-A-R-I-B-E-A-U. It's yeah. pronounced Barbeau, but if you're looking for her, look her that way. Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. Your spirit, um, it's just, you ooze the the love of Jesus Christ. It's so evident and it's beautiful to just spend time with you. But I would love for you to pray over our listeners, especially anyone who finds himself in a dark place and know that there is hope and you are our shining example of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. All right. Dear Lord, I just come before you right now, God, and I just thank you. I want to enter this prayer with just a a posture of thankfulness, of gratitude that we woke up today, that we, you chose that our organs would operate together to wake us up today, that you would choose to give us another day. God, give us the perspective, the, the gift of perspective that we will never see this day again. And though we might be struggling Um, We can ask ourselves, did we have a bad day or did we have a bad five minutes that ruined our entire day? And God, let us see the joy in in our struggles. Let us see the flower pushing up to the concrete, the laughter of a child, the little old people holding hands across the street, the kindness of a cashier at the at the grocery store. God, there are little bits of joy that you throw us every single day, God. And you're saying, look, look, I did this for you. I did this just for you. And God, I just thank you for every soul that is listening to this, that is watching this, that says, this is just for me. And God, it is not about me. All I am is the conduit. And I would ask that anybody who's listening to pray these words with me to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Use me as a conduit. And God, if there is anybody that is listening and watching this program and they don't know you, Lord, um, Lord, I ask right now that they open their hearts to you and to get to know you if they're lonely, if they're hurting, if they're sick, if they're alone, if they don't know the beauty of a relationship with you, not religion, a relationship with you, God, that they would open their hearts right now and you would begin to do work miracles in their life. You would begin to heal them. You would begin to bring them joy and, and peace and love in places where there was bitter and barren before and that the, the enemy would have to flee from their lives, from their families lives, that addiction would leave, that sickness would leave. You are the great physician, God. And I just thank you, God, for every single soul that is watching this. I thank you that there are 
no coincidences. I thank you that you knew that they were going to be watching today, that you use this precious soul who's interviewing me and technology and her church. I pray blessings over her church. I pray multitudes of people that that come, that know you, that get reconciled with you, that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, God. I pray blessings over my sweet sister. I pray she goes to Africa more. I pray the prayer of Jabez, that it just goes and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you enlarge her territory, God. Give her the dreams of her heart and the dreams of people that are listening, the dreams, the secret dreams that you've told nobody, the things that 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 you, you've, you've only up yourself and maybe to God. God, I ask those dreams to come to pass. These, da- what I believe are the last days, Lord, for people to um, shine brightly for you, to be in their in in their full self, and and let people see what the love of Jesus Christ can do in a life. And Lord, forgive us of our sins. Help us, Lord. Thank you for everything you're doing in each one of our lives. You are ever present. You are our Abba Father. You're our friend. You're our provider. You're everything to us. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at angeladenadio.com, Facebook at Angela Donatio VOV, and Instagram at Angela Donatio. Until next week, let's make life matter.